Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, and uh, a bit of a different episode today. Mainly because I've done radio the past three days and my voice is shot. So I'm going to turn things over here in just a moment to Brent Young. Dave Simone is here. And Brent Young and Dave Simone are going to do the podcast. If I feel the need or and or if I actually am awake, I'll chime in maybe a little bit here and there. But my guess is it's going to be the two of them for the most part tonight. Got quite a bit to talk about. I don't think we really need to rehash the AAC title game all over again, but an opportunity to review what was a 10-3 and Cincinnati season that ended in a loss in the American Conference Championship game. One step farther than they were last year, even though last year they finished with only two losses, 11-2. and This year they did manage to make it to the title game, so... Good news on that front. We have a bowl game coming up with Boston College in Birmingham. That will be on January 2nd. Everybody mark your calendars. And we've got basketball as well. Signing day for football coming up next Wednesday. This will be our last podcast prior to signing day. We will probably uh, wait until Thursday to do a BCJ podcast again next week. That way we can cover the Tennessee game. We can cover the signing day festivities. Hopefully have Bill Green on to chat with us about signing day. Maybe take a little look ahead to 2021. And uh, potentially information by that point in time, I would think. Pretty good chance that Cincinnati will have a new athletic director in place. So should be a jam-packed show next week. But this week, I give you... The Brent Young and Dave Simone Show. Gentlemen, have at it. Good night. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Chad. Hope, very, very nice hope, and good night you, to you as well. Hope you start feeling better. I mean, I'm feeling, I'm not feeling terrible anymore. I just should not have, have been on the radio for three hours a day while I was trying to conserve my voice because it, it, I, I've left every day at six o'clock. Like it has been a crawl to get to six o'clock with my voice still intact. And then as soon as I get in the car, it's just completely shot. So I, I don't have enough strength for an hour. And you two strapping young lads, I'm sure, are more than capable. I think we can cobble something together. Wow. Cobble's a good way to put it. You know, I, Chad, you, you remind me of a story back. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start off with a quick personal story. You know, I was I was sick, a little under the weather, and uh, I, I broadcast high school sports as well. And this reminds me of a time where I was I was down in Tennessee doing a national tournament, feeling under the weather, and they had me broadcast six straight games at this national tournament. And then at the end, they asked if I could do the three point contest and the dunk contest on top of the six games. And I mean, I was drinking honey like it was water, and uh, words were starting to mold together. So. I, I completely understand where you're coming from at this point. Bourbon. Bourbon is the key. There we go. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys have at it. I'll be here if you need me. All right. Well, Brett, season, tw- 2019 se- football season, I guess officially, unofficially in the books. I'm not one for taking much from bowl games. So 
you know, 10 and three, what, what are what were your kind of, we don't really want to, I personally don't really want to get back into that game uh, from last Saturday. I don't think any of our fans really want to rehash uh, any of the details of that, but uh, kind of what are your initial thoughts just on the season as a whole, what you expected going in, how it played out, uh, any, any thoughts you have on that? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, first tip with the cap to you for uh, picking uh, a, a perfect record in your predictions. I mean, I got to listen to you a little bit more when it comes to uh, the Vegas decisions every week. But aside from that, I don't you know, know how good my, my I don't know how good my scores were, and I and I picked with right. my 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 heart and maybe not my head in the championship <laughs> game. But uh, you know, it, I've come a long way from my. 12 and 0 prediction that ended up uh, not not going so well, but uh, thank you. Well, I I also want to point out in my in my Trace Pontas score prediction for the one podcast that I've been on so far, the game at Memphis on Black Friday. I I said Memphis 34, Cincinnati 27. So don't want to toot my horn too much there, but but pretty doggone close to that that guess, but. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I guess overall viewpoint of of the entire season was kind of what I, in in a myriad of ways, kind of what I thought was going to happen, but it happened in in completely different ways. Um, you know, kind of the the opening game against UCLA, I expected a win. You know, of course, a trip to Columbus after after that opening win against UCLA, and kind of all the talk and the momentum behind the program. I was actually one of the ones that was, that was drinking that, that beautiful Kool-Aid and kind of diving in thinking that, uh, you know, Cincinnati had an outside shot of, of going and making it a game in Ohio state. And Chad, Chad could even know he kind of, kind of saved me a little bit uh, during the write up the preview write up of Ohio state. Cause I was, I was drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit too much. And I said, uh, you know, Hey, we might be a little bit, Cincinnati might be a little bit more even with the Buckeyes here than, than, than an outsider might think. But, uh, that played I, out as I, it did, and then I used editorial control in that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you I, you I, saved me at a very early phase. I, I said Brent, we have a limited st- amount of credibility already. We don't need it <laughs> to said, go totally out the window. I said, Brent, stop talking crazy, son. Stop talking crazy. <laughs> uh, well, you know the the Kool Aid was tasting really good. I'm not gonna lie, it, it, and it started from the from the fall camp where uh, you know kind of you you experienced you know, camp higher ground for the first time. And you kind of, kind of see, wow, I'm seeing all the special things that this team could be. And then I kind of, you know, let those, those rose colored glasses cover everything up. But yeah, aside from that, you know, you take that away and, and it kind of was now the, the lingo, the, the limbo part trying to figure out, okay, well, what, what kind of identity is this team going to have from here on out? And then I thought, you know, from the second half of the Miami game all the way through you know, through the UCF game, obviously, which was the, the best game of the entire season, I would say by far. I, you know, I kind of feel like, hey, this is a team that's going to be a force to be reckoned with, and they kind of showed that throughout the rest of the year. Of course, some really close, kind of you know, nerve-wracking games at ECU and then at USF and Temple at home, and then the final two we won't talk too much about. But you know, aside from that, all in all, I think you could draw more positives. Then you can negatives, and uh, you know obviously there's some very glaring negatives throughout the entire season. You know, I, one of them kind of kind of makes you think of like yellow things, like uh, yellow raincoats and yellow 
you know, whatever, yellow umbrellas, different yellow things of that sort. Um, that's the main deficiency I would say this team showed throughout the year. But aside from that, I, I kind of, kind of thought they did a pretty doggone good job. I, I, I thought that, you know, the defense was borderline elite. Um, you know, it, when you kind of break it down, especially in, in the past couple of games and in the game against UCF, they, they went up against some, some powerhouse offenses, some of offenses that rank in the top of the entire country. And of course, the top of the AAC and they, they really showed their best and kind of, kind of really took over multiple games, obviously winning, the the uh, ECU game with the pick six by Sauce Gardner, UCF obviously winning that game. I guess you can kind of boil it down to that. And Temple making the plays when need be. I, you know, the, the defense in the end is is what I kind of hang my hat on. And, and the play of the seniors, Brian Wright and Perry Young. I, I was just blown away with, with how good the defense was. Sure, there's some scrutiny to them. But, you know, they, they kind of carried this team throughout the entire season. And then you throw in the running back with the, the duo – between Dokes and, and Michael Warren. I know you don't want to talk about the Memphis game much from, from last week, but I thought Michael Warren looked, looked fantastic. I, he looked extremely fresh, and that's the main thing I've been saying in all my write-ups is just how fresh the truck looks. I mean, it, it's an unbelievable comparison from last year at this time to now at this time, at just how fresh and how strong he's looked towards the end of the stretch of the season. And, you know, I kind of just think you can only take away a lot of positives, and you can't really let – let the last two weeks kind of muddy up how fantastic of a season that's truly been. I agree with the vast majority of what you had to say there. I, I'm a little conflicted though. I mean, you go 10 and three, you go to the conference championship on the road and you're in it till the very end. I will under no circumstances say that it was a, a disappointing season, but I can't help the like have the way that the conference championship game unfold cloud my view a little bit in that. I don't know. I don't even know what the right word is. I don't want to say unfulfilled. um, Right. I mean, how do you, you're two years removed from, from four and eight and really what could have been one and 11 to the conference championship mm-hmm. game. So I don't want to say unfulfilled, but you know, I just look back at that game and I mean, I want to give them all the credit in the world. I mean, they, they had an exceptional season. They're, you know, 12 and one for a reason, but gave not gave them the game. That's the wrong thing to say, but, it's not like we can yeah. look back at certain things and go, well, here's, here's where Memphis took that game. Right. And right. I, I just feel like there were, right. there were so many inc- incidents, issues, some that had plagued this team all year, some that had plagued them at spots that I'm just, I'm just left kind of, you know, feeling a little empty in the sense of, you know, that game – was there to be had if UC just did the things that they had typically done all year to get to that point. Not, not, they didn't even need to do anything extraordinary. Um, right. You know, so part of me is obviously excited. I mean, a senior class that has meant a ton 
to the program and to the rebuild and a lot of young guys that have, con- have contributed that are, you know, uber exciting moving forward to see it end that way. I mean, I haven't, like, I don't really take losses hard. I don't play. I don't coach. I'm invested only from a fan standpoint. You know, I move on pretty quick. And I, I was pretty gutted by that one just because of what I said, where I didn't really feel like Memphis took that game. I mean, they deserved to win the game. They made the, the key plays. They made the, the plays necessary. I'm not going to say that UC should have won or deserved to won, but I was just like, man, you know, all those mistakes and you still have a chance at the end to, you know, you have the lead with four and a half minutes to go. I mean, if you just, if you'd have told anybody UC is going to be up with four and a half minutes left, you know, they you probably would have liked their chances. And, you know, the defense that had been so good in key spots all year, couldn't get that one stop. And then, you know, there were obviously the penalties and, and several other issues, but it's, it's a little bit of a conflicting feeling for me on, you know, I don't, I'm trying not to let that one game you know, dictate how I feel about the whole season. It's just, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I thought we weren't going to touch on it, but I, I'm going to touch on it. The, the game itself, I, you know, I was at the Crosstown shootout at Synthos Center, which, you know, wasn't, wasn't the greatest of experiences either. But, you know, aside from that, it, it, it was one did thing they, because did I – did, did they make you sit in the last row? No, no. They actually uh, – our boy JT, they, they put all the way up in the uh, in the nosebleeds all the way up at the top row. They actually put me in a nice little cubby hole. I was I, – you know, it's kind of kind of an some... interesting location that they have you at up there. Ain't that some crap? They literally just because it's me, they put me in the last row. I hate that. Place. No, I know. I, I, I was I asking around. Place. They said, "Yeah, we saw Bearcat Journal, but we didn't see Chad Brenda. We saw Brent Young, so we thought, you know, hey, it might be a different guy. They put me down there, so no, I got lucky, I guess. But you know, aside from that, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned it. I I actually watched a replay of of the Memphis game last night. I call me crazy, but I did. Um, Are you a glutton for punishment? Like what? What in God's no, no. name? Why would you do that? <laughs> well, well. So so Chad called me yesterday. He he laid down the situation that he's in right now, and I said, okay, oh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Sign me up. You know, put me put me in. I'm I'm the relief pitcher. I'll do it. You know, I'll be a a long reliever. I'm down. So uh, you know, I. I had been watching it in spurts while while watching the the cross town shootout as well, so you know, I didn't really get the full effect. I had the had the you know the cliff notes version, but but not really the full effect. So after watching it last night, it it, it kind of just really dawned upon me that you know it's not one of those games where you walk away and you're like, okay, you know the better team won tonight, and you know you. It, it is what it is. We we gave it our all, left it all out there. I'm I'm not saying that they didn't leave it all out there because they definitely did. But I, it was one of those games where you kind of just felt, you know, like you said, uh, you have a lead with, with four minutes, a little under four minutes left in the ball game. You're kind of thinking, okay, Houston part two is going to happen uh, with a with a tip ball and an interception return for a touchdown to ice the game or, you know, a, a big interception in the Temple game, for instance. You know, they're going to throw a long pass and Derek Forrest will come up with an interception and kind of clinch it for us. But it, you know, it, it kind of took, took me back when, 
you know, you kind of saw the, the fumble early in the drive where, you know, Brian Wright got a hand in there and popped it loose and kind of seemed like throughout the entire season, those were balls that bounced towards Cincinnati's way and, and kind of ended the game, iced the game. And, and you walk away saying, wow, the defense did it again. They, they, they came through and did it again, but you know, you, you look back at the game and in, in the second quarter, you had multiple chances. You know, that's when the, the, Alec Pierce dropped pass on a third down and you had a, a, the Desmond Ritter long run with a fumble and then another Ritter to get his pass that was underthrown on third down. You know, that is a whole entire quarter that the defense forced three and outs and they forced five punts and they ended the half with an interception. So, you know, that, that second quarter was a chance for you to try and build on your 14 to 10 lead. But, you know, it, it kind of just things didn't really happen that way. The, the breaks didn't go Cincinnati's way. It kind of seemed like, you know, when you have a kicker in college knock in a 52-yard field goal and a 50-yard field goal, things are definitely on your side. I mean, obviously Riley Patterson is one of the best in the country, but aside from that, when, when you knock in those long field goals in such pressure situations, you know things are going your way throughout that game. And then that final drive, just, you know, they, they kept on picking up the plays that they needed to, and, and Cincinnati – didn't they they did their bend but don't break you know maneuver the entire way down but in the end they ended up breaking and then that that final drive by Cincinnati gave you a little bit of hope as well but you know it, it kind of was was one of those situations like you said where you know you you felt like it was it, it wasn't one of those games that you can just brush away and just say you know what Memphis completely outperformed Cincinnati and they won they were the better team. They deserve the It was one of those where it says, okay, what if this? What if that? And those are obviously the worst games to, to end a regular season and have a long layoff on because then you start really questioning and really digging in when I think, yeah, you, you can do that for a little bit, but then right now is the time where you got to take a step back and look at broad picture. I, you know, I, I guess, Dave, my question to you is, if, if you could take just tasting your mouth heading into the, the bowl game, I know you're not a big bowl game guy. I, I, I think it is what it is type thing outside of the playoffs. But, uh, you know, so, so last season, take it for instance, they had the surprise season. They traveled to, you know, top 10 Central Florida, the game before the final game. And, and, and of course, not many people are thinking for them to win that game. College game day is there. And it's just kind of, okay, well, they're, they're back on the big stage. And then they close it out with, with completely demolishing ECU 56 to six. And then everyone's still wearing the rose colored glasses. Everyone still has that real positive, happy feel. But and then this year you go back to back losses in Memphis. I, I mean, I guess, you know, which, which ending, I know one obviously is an ending with an invite and, and a game played in the AAC championship and a division championship as well. So, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm thinking that 10 times out of 10, but as far as just tasting your mouth, leading into the long, long layoff between the bowl games. I mean, would you take a big win at the end of the season or, or kind of is this struggling loss something that's completely okay by you? Yeah, I'd rather have that just because that means you're progressing. In my opinion, you're progressing as a program. Um, you know, I think the way I look at it, and I think our fans who maybe haven't paid as close of attention to these things have now realized that this G5 bid, there's a Grand Canyon-sized chasm between making it to whatever New Year's Six Bowl game 
the G5 bid goes to, and then whatever the next, I'm not even going to say best, the next bowl spot you might get sent to yeah. is. So um, I think last year's bowl game was a great reward, great showing for that season in particular. I felt everything, I mean, everything worked out great. I mean, you you got to end the season with a win. Hayden Moore got to step in and make big plays down the stretch. I mean, it was a, it was a whole big kind of like nice bow on a very nice year, taking it from four and eight to what that was. This year, I'm excited to be able to use the excuse if UC doesn't play well in the bowl game that my SEC friends get to use. Uh, well, they didn't really care. They didn't, they didn't really want to be there. So I'm pumped that if they play poorly, I can just say that. Because, that, you know, that's, a, that's the common one when the loser of the SEC championship gets run over in the bowl game that they don't want to be in. So that's cool. We can say that this year. Um, but, like, I just – Bowl games to me are exhibitions. If the, if you're not if you don't grab the G five thing or you're not in the playoffs, all I'm concerned like all I want is like a nice reward for the team, the players, the coaches, their families, the fans that can go like to to the seniors send the seniors out well. I mean, I'm not saying they don't matter. They matter. Like you play a game, you want to win. And I think that's a benefit actually to kind of the culture that Coach Fickle has built harken back all the way to recruiting rankings. If they keep score, we want to win. So part of me doesn't think they're going, there's going to be any letdown because it's kind of been ingrained in these guys' heads. Like, Hey, if we're going to play and they're going to keep score, we may as well win. So, you know, you still have some important seniors to send out and another opportunity to get an 11th win, which is not, something that's happened but one time in program history. Um, so that's another accomplishment that could be added. And, you know, and just use it for what it is. Use it for the bowl practices. Use it for the 11th win. Use it to celebrate your team. And hopefully they go down to Birmingham and, and have a good showing. Yeah. You know, and I think it's it's another – opportunity because i mean you you go all the way back obviously the yukon game i the yukon is what it is but you know, that was kind of the last game where they were able to just kind of go out and just have fun uh, build a big lead let let everyone kind of play and then ever since then you know at usf versus temple and then the two games against memphis it's just kind of been you know clenching the entire way and, and sweat dripping down your forehead the constant lead intense preparation just you know just trying to win every single game because every single game obviously matters and then you know you you go two and two in those final four games i think this is just now an opportunity for them you know to, to kind of get back to the basics and just you know have fun and and kind of go out there and, and one last time as a special team because i mean like you said 11 wins is is a, a pinnacle that not many teams reach it's it's a pinnacle that you know you're you're looking at some good games that they played this year. Some, some really tough opponents. I mean, you know, that, that game against Temple, you, you talk about how, you know, they, they took down Memphis earlier in the season. Sure. It was an interesting game between the two, but still a win's a win. You look at, at USF really 
really kind of treated that as their Super Bowl in that game down in Tampa, and it was just an odd game, and, and kind of the way that, that Ben Bryant had the big game at, at Memphis, his, his one lone start, and then bounce back game, and, and a really good game for Desmond Ritter the last time out last Saturday, so it, you know it's kind of a chance to, to have that long layoff and, and to reminisce, but also prepare to try and take on, you know, because even though it is Boston College, even though it is 6-6 six and six Boston College, and, and, and no A.J. Dillon in the backfield and his aspirations for the NFL are already already calling him that way. So, you know, minus their superstar, minus their head coach, minus all these different things that's going into it. I mean, they're still they're still a power five, a quote unquote P5 school and still an opportunity for you to go out and kind of you know, really, really lay it all out there and, and kind of either get frustration out, have have fun and have one last game as this team is put together and I think, you know, as you mentioned, it, yes, it is somewhat of an exhibition because, you know, both teams get, get the special care packages and both teams get to, you know, experience the same things leading up to the bowl game itself. But in the end, if, if they're, they're keeping score, this, this team wants to win. And I think that this is an opportunity for them to go out and kind of just show, hey, I, maybe a little bit of disrespect in the invitation to just a Birmingham Bowl against a 6-6 six and six, you know, Boston College team. So, why not go out, lay it all out there, and, and really show the haters or the doubters exactly what we have? So, it, you know, I think that that's really a chance for them to to kind of get back and 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 go out there and play with some fun and some and, and an added chip on their shoulder after just a grueling four straight weeks, just having to win each game, coming up short in two of them, you know, but being there in every single one. So, I think this is really kind of a kind of a big stage for them to to go out there and just kind of just finish the season on a on a high note when right now it, it feels like it's a low note and and this is a team throughout the year that we've seen has has a lot of players that that are really highly emotional you know I, especially you know Brian Wright and Perry Young on on the defensive side we continue talking about them but you know it's, it's a highly emotional group and and this is the chance for them to to really end their careers and really end the season on on a really high note against the power pack team for sure so Kind of looking at the season as a whole, what would you say were your or your biggest surprise and maybe biggest uh, disappointment? Okay, uh, biggest biggest surprise, you know, I'd say our man Sauce. Uh, you know, I'm on Sauce Gardner. I I you know I was like Chad. You know, saw him. And at Camp Higher Ground, and you know, obviously the whole talk of Camp Higher Ground was was Mamba Island, and and just the the ability of of Kobe Bryant on the outside, and of course you had you know Cam Jeffries and and Arquan Bush, who's going to be manning the other corner, you know, whoever it might be, and uh, you know, here comes this this true freshman, just kind of buried on the depth chart for lack of a better word, and he really just blows up during the Central Florida game with that pick six and. And then all of a sudden he's starting and all of a sudden he just, you know, got named uh, a first team freshman, all American and in the entire country. I mean, it's just, you know, he's a first team all conference player and, and he's one of the considered one of the better cornerbacks by, by pro football focus. And it's just, it, it's mind boggling how well he has done. And, and I mean, you saw glimpses of it. I, his size is at the cornerback position is, is like patented. It's, it's, it's tailor made for what Marcus Freeman wants to do with the defense. And so, you know, it, it was not really a surprise to see a player with, with that profile, with that, you know, look 
go out there and, and get some extra time to see what he can do, but then for him to take it to the next level and have the really big play against uh, UCF, really big play against ECU, and just continue to play at such a high level. I mean, he, he went up against some really good wide receivers, especially in those Memphis games. I, I'm, I know Cox, he put up some some stats, but a lot of those stats came up came against when he was not guarding him one-on-one or when, when he slipped and fell or, or something along those lines. It was – it was kind of a, a really great showing by the freshman. He's got an extremely bright future. Uh, so he, along with the whole defense, would, would definitely be my my positives that I take out of it. Um, my my negatives, I, man. Uh, if I had to pinpoint one, I I thought, you know, I think that Desmond Ritter is a fantastic quarterback, and I I think he's a leader. And and I'm I'm kind of in the fickle camp when it comes to this. At, at the quarterback position, I want someone who's not going to make mistakes, someone who's a gamer, someone who's going to make plays to help my team win. And that's exactly what Desmond Ritter is boiled down into. I just thought he was going to take the next step into being a, a conversation throughout the nation as far as, as, as a top quarterback to watch, a young sophomore that'll, that, that'll gain more and more national steam as, as his junior year progresses and things of that sort, or as his junior year comes up. You know, I think he, I thought he had a great season. I, obviously, a couple of tough games against South Florida and Temple. Um, you know, sat out against that Memphis game. You know, really, really beat up throughout the season. But I really thought that he was going to take that next step. But you know what? It, he's just a sophomore, which is the craziest thing to talk about. There's a lot of things that'll you know be moving in, in the off season. But I, still young in his progression as far as as a quarterback for the Bearcats. But if if I had to pick pick out a negative, other than the the penalties and 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 the the moving and the grooving on the offensive line, you know, I just I thought that Ritter had a fantastic season, just just that next step, and I think that in due time it's going to show. And I think you really saw it in that Memphis game, in that in, in the AAC championship where he was eluding pressure and, and making big time plays. I he, he's a big time player, and I just you know if, if I had to say one thing, I was thinking he was going to take take that next step maybe with with his arm or different sort things of that sort but aside from that can't really draw too much negative from the season at all what about you right uh my surprise would probably be the defensive line um i think a lot was obviously expected of them replacing you know two all-league interior guys and a very very good defensive end and of course has brought in Kamani Fitz and Marquise Copeland. And I just thought, I mean, through the middle of, through the middle part of the year, it was, it was real, real impressive. And then as the season wore on, I think they kind of got less, maybe not notoriety because it was just, I felt like it was, now it was just consistent from, from pretty much everybody. And you know, you just never know in college having that many guys that hadn't really been counted on before. You know, it's um, you're almost playing the averages that there's no way, you know, they're all going to kind of take that next step and contribute. And mm-hmm. I mean, I thought they really did. I mean, it, whether it was the four guys on the interior, the guys on the outside. I mean, they all had their moments and it wasn't just, you know, 
one moment in one game. It was it just kind of happened throughout the whole season, and and uh, so that was that was probably my biggest surprise. My biggest disappointment, I think, would be the wide receiver group as a whole. Mm-hmm. I expected more from them this year. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't want to like single any in particular player out. I don't think any of them had necessarily a bad season. I just thought that we were kind of taking that next step into, you know, guys that we're going to be able to get open down the field or that the offense was going to be able to, to stretch the field more than we saw in 2018. And while we maybe did a little bit, I guess I was still kind of underwhelmed when we went up against the, the better defenses, the more athletic defenses. Um, I thought it was apparent in the games against Memphis, um, you know, the drops in the, in the second game and the, some of the drops throughout the year, you just can't have. Um, but I, I was just wanting more. I thought, I thought there were guys that were ready to take the next step like the defensive line did, and I just mm-hmm. didn't see it. And I think that is where this offense needs to grow the most if it's going to kind of get out of that middle of the pack nationally because I think the the run game is, is where you want it. But let's be honest, like – there's only there's very few teams that can can take that philosophy and win at a high level against elite competition. And the only two that I can think of are Alabama and Georgia, and even Alabama has three ridiculous wide receivers and has yeah. kind of morphed morphed their offensive approach from what it was maybe three, you know, I think Lane Kiffin actually is the one that kind of broke the the ceiling on that um, for them. And you saw LSU kind of do that this year. And George is kind of that last one of the elites that still wants to maintain that, that ground and pound philosophy. And I just don't think you see can fully get where they want to go without guys on the outside that whether it's a 50 yard pass or a five yard pass that they take 50 yards, you know, I don't think they can get to where, where that we want them to go as fans. And I'm sure where they want to go as coaches and players without more explosiveness from the wide receiver position. I mean, I, I think that's gotta be a focus to close out the early signing period. I think it's gotta be a focus in February and in the transfer market, because you look at what's coming back offensively, you know, your quarterbacks are set, your running backs should be set. You lose Josiah DeGore, but you, you should feel confident with your tight end group. And you have some nice wide receivers coming back, but I don't think any of those guys, if you were being totally honest with some of the defenses that you see played, I don't think any of those guys scare them. 
So yeah. we need some, we need, whether it's more touches and, and, a and an evolution from Trey Tucker, whether it's some freshmen or whether it's guys currently on the roster taking that step, we need more, you know, explosiveness, game breaking, that type from the wide receiver group. I think if this offense is going to get out of that kind of 40 to 60 national ranking and get into, you know, kind of the equivalent of where the defense is. I'm going to, I'm going to chime in here because I think we're seeing an interesting switch and that's on the recruiting side of things where I think they're looking at UCF, looking at Memphis, looking around the conference and saying, you know what? We can do that. We don't need these. We don't have to have these six, four, six, five guys, these guys that, you know, look like the guys at Alabama and, and LSU and whatever. In this conference, we can do it with the six foot, six foot one, six foot two guys that have the game breaking speed, that have the ability to make plays in the open field. I, I think you look at a guy like Norman Love. Mm-hmm. I think he's got a chance to come in here and be fantastic. Look at what Trey Tucker did in his first year here and the way that they continue to try to find different ways to get the ball in his hands. And, and I think you're realizing that now. I think you're seeing that now that they are trying to find a way to to make different type of impacts from the wide receiver position and not just this guy's a slot guy, this guy's an outside guy, this guy, you know, this guy fits in this role. I, I think they're taking the the blinders off and saying, look, we can do this in a lot of different ways with a lot of different guys. And I, I think you see that with the the class they have in 2020 at wide receiver and, and potentially as we get closer to signing day, maybe whatever additions they make at that position as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's different ways to put stress on the defense. And when you have such a strong running game, you know, and you have a quarterback that, you know, you have this running game and you have this read option and the way Des can run. I, I mean, I'd want to almost look at it as an extension of the running game and you get everybody so crowded up there and then you throw these quick passes and get the ball out on the numbers to your, to these faster, more elusive guys. And there's nobody, if they make one guy miss, they're going to go because most of these teams are going to be so concerned about stopping the run. They're not playing cover two. There's not two high safeties. I mean, so it, I just, I'm, I want to see more, more quick pass. I'd like to see more tempo. I'd like to see more quick passing game. And like you said, I'd like to see more of the, not your, I, I don't want to like, you know, pigeonhole someone, but your, your, your maybe smaller, quicker, more elusive wide receiver and less of your, your bigger target, you know, possession, power. Because, I mean, they kind of recruited those guys because they're really good blockers and you still need your wide receivers to be good blockers. I mean, that's when you're, if you're going to run the ball the way they run the ball, you, you can't just have a bunch of five, 970 pound guys on the outside. They're not going to be able to block anybody. So, I mean, those guys still have a purpose, but I just, I think, like you said, they're, 
to get the offense to that next level, you're going to need more of, you know, to improve Dez's or whoever the quarterback is, it'll improve their completion percentage. It'll improve on themselves on third down. I mean, I look at some first downs where, you know, if you just throw a quick ball out there, the way college is, I mean, that's almost a guaranteed six, seven yards. You never see some defensive back come up on a quick throw out to the outside and, and stick a guy and drop him right there for, you know, a one or two yard game. So, there's, I just think that's where the, that's that next evolution, you know, if you want to call it year three, year one was, I'm not going to go to the year zero moniker because I don't think it was that bad, but you know, now you're entering your three year three of your full on, you know, offense, defense, game planning, install all that stuff. So it's, it's time to kind of see if we can take that next step. Yeah. And, you know, Tyler Scott would be another player that like, like Chad mentioned, just the speed guy, you know, that just a little bit more dynamic athlete, if you will. You know, and it's interesting because it all ties together. You know, you mentioned the wide receivers and, and the, the improvement on the outside would improve whoever that quarterback, as you mentioned, you know, obviously you got to look at the offensive line as well. And just the, the craziness of the amount of different starting lines or different, different pieces that they've had to had to, you know, put that puzzle together up front. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to get continuity and hard to, to truly get locked in and, and know each other's tendencies when you have to flip and flop so much and, and so many injuries and different circumstances like that. So I think, you know, just another year for, for those younger offensive linemen progressing and then a, a couple of more added, added, you know, different things, whether it be Hudson becoming eligible or, or other factors of that sort, I think, you know, obviously that's going to help a lot. And I think some of the offensive linemen they're bringing in in this recruiting class, I think, you know, you look at like a Kobe McAllister, I think is one of the more like kept, kept secrets out there. A legit six, six, just a, a, a big athletic beast on the outside. You know, it, it's a, it's a real, you know, Gavin Gerhardt as well. It's a, it's a really good offensive line. That's, that's going to only continue to get better as, as the years and the off seasons progress. So, you know, all that ties into, to the quarterback having more time in the pocket uh, you know, receivers being able to get open, needing more time at B. And then of course, as you mentioned, just, just an up and speed, on the outside, you know, I think, I think Trey Tucker is going to be, you know, you saw they kind of forced it a little bit to him in, in that last game on Saturday, uh, you know, kind of the interesting jump terrible, ball. That was, was a terrible play call. Yes, I that was, that was the one more, bad. Though. I mean, I, I think they're, they're no. still underutilizing him. No, I agree, but right. trying to throw it down the sideline. Right. On a 6-2 like, corner, throw, like that, that was. Throw that him was a, the ball. Throw him the ball right off the line. Well, the one in the first quarter should have been a touchdown. That yes, that was a little overthrown. But you know, you you saw the added emphasis, like you're saying, Dave. You know, uh, why not? Because they love doing the jet sweep to him. You know, why not get get one of those where it is? You know, just like he's actually just a quick bubble screen, or or or, or you know, get it to him out in space and just have him make one man miss, and then. Before you know it, it's off to the races. I, you know, it's 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 criminal that he didn't find the end zone this year. I mean, I maybe it'll be a spoiler alert. Maybe he'll find it against Boston College. But you know, it it, it just seems like he's one of those players where if you truly make just one guy miss, 
one or two guys miss, there's no one that's going to be able to catch him in the open field. So, you know, I I like what you guys are saying, more more quick passes, more different things of that sort, but but just amping up the speed overall because you've got the two the two big outside wide receivers. If you need to throw the, the you know, great completions that, you know, the 36-yard pass to, to, to Moj and, and different things along those sorts. So they're there if you need it. But, you know, like you said, surround that with speed as well so you have a heavy mix of both. I, the, the point you made about the offensive line is fascinating to me because that offensive line room is going to be so interesting to watch all the way through the spring and all the way through camp to, to day one of next season. Because yeah. you think what Hudson probably, from what we've seen, he slots in at left tackle. Hopefully, right. Jeremy Cooper is one hundred percent recovered as quickly as possible. Um, I would guess he is very limited in the spring, potentially. Um, mm-hmm. But you hope to have him ready by camp at left guard, Jakari at center, right guard. I mean, there's five guys that could start there. Yeah. You've got Colin, you the thing in. is, like, you had three guys in Hudson, Woodside, and Cooper that you were counting on in August, and you got three and a half games yeah. out of them. Yeah. You know, so you've got so, Woodside, you've got Vince McConnell, who now has experience at, at right guard because he replaced Morgan James right. for two games. And, the like, the thing about that, we did not hear his name come up once in the two games he replaced Morgan James. The funny part is, if you weren't paying attention, almost nobody noticed that Morgan James was out that first game. Right. Right. So maybe they found a home yeah. for Vince McConnell. Woodside is going to be in the battle there. Dylan O'Quinn is going to be in a battle there. Marcelo Mendiola mm-hmm. is going to be in a battle there. Like, that right guard spot, yeah, you're losing a guy that's been awesome the past two years in Morgan James. But you've got a ton of options. And then at right tackle, I think it's going to be a battle between Darius Harper and Lorenz Metz. And one becomes a starter, and the other one becomes a super sub at tackle. My question is this on that, and I could be totally wrong. Does it make more sense to keep Harper at left and put Hudson at right? Um, I don't know that you're wrong, and I think they'll probably look at it. Because I think Harper was really good at left tackle. Well, here's my thing on that is I thought he was good. And being that he's still been so – it's still been so long since he played. And he's he's kind of been that left tackle guy for for the majority of the season. Do you do you want to move him and have him learn which he probably already has. I'm sure they he go, like he have, he had learned right tackle first. Right. But I'm like Okay, you know, you've seen him now because he is—he's. I would say he's the long, he's the more like long, length, angular type of type of tackle. He's not like I don't really look at him as like your road grading style well, of tackle. Six eight, three hundred and twenty pounds, though. I mean, I think you're right, right to an right. extent, but he is a monster of a human. When I look, when I look at at Hudson, I mean, and people have suggested moving Hudson to right guard. And I don't know that it's crazy, but Hudson's more no, of that yeah. athletic 6'5", like play-in-space tackle, left tackle type guy 
that can stop a speed rusher. Um, yeah, I guess I just haven't seen enough. Like we haven't really seen him in, to the extent of to, to to truly know. I guess, but I mean, my my thinking was just along the lines of you got a guy that you yeah. kind of had to force in there and he performed pretty well. Do we mess with that? You know what? You know what the craziest story of this year is on the offensive line? No, but you're going to tell us. They may have accidentally found <laughs> an, a, a center. Because of the injuries and because of everything that's going on, the numbers were so bad that – they had to take a freshman defensive lineman and have him be the scout team center. And as it turns out, he's really good at it. Can you guess? Take a guess. Who do you think? Oof. Dave? Do we get a uh, do we get a year? Freshman. I said freshman. Uh, a freshman. Huh? No. No. Way too big to play center. <laughs> Phillips is I a don't monster. Know. It's Hummel. Zach Hummel. Oh, okay. Who makes perfect sense. He's right in that size range. 6'2", 280 pounds. He was a wrestler. And because they just were so low on numbers, they had him play center on the scout team. And by the end of the year, you could hear some people talking. I, I talked to a defensive lineman, an interior defensive lineman that was that, that was like, man, that kid, that kid can play because he was a pain in the butt to get around day in and day out on the scout team. And it was like, Hummel, really? At center? Like, yeah, yeah. So that that'll be interesting because I think they have a they, they have really high hopes for him as a as a defensive tackle. Because of his strength and his quickness and, and probably a lot of the things that made him pretty good at center would make him pretty good at defensive tackle. I think that will probably deter, like hinge on um, the return of, or the, the, the return of Colin Woodside for one, who was the backup center before he got hurt, and then Jake Renfro, who was in the 2020 signing class. Um, there might not hopefully you hope there's not a need for Hummel at center. But if worse comes to worse, they've kind of got a a, a a play in their back pocket where they, they accidentally found out that, that Zach Hummel could be a pretty good center for you going forward if you put him in that position. So I thought that was interesting. For sure. So we are we're approaching an hour. We haven't yeah, and you haven't about talked basketball at all. Basketball <laughs> at all. So – the bowl we game will probably save. that's going to come. Well, yeah, I wasn't going to talk about the bowl game at all. Um, we're going to get yelled at again. We got yelled at last week because we only did ten minutes on the crosstown shootout. But look, here's my under, here's my here's my answer on that. They're not. I don't have anything to say on that because I didn't see a single second of it. So you guys not, can have at not, it. They're not winning at the Centos Center. Whatever. Yeah. Sorry, my throat hurt. I couldn't talk. I got as many minutes out of last week's podcast as I possibly could. And that was 10 minutes on a game that they were going to lose at the CentOS Center. So I'll turn it back over to you guys. By the the time we do a podcast again, they will have played Colgate, who is okay, a decent, another decent, 
uh, top 150 type mid-major team that is decent on your resume. And then the marquee home game of the out-of-conference schedule, Tennessee comes to town. Dave, you're a Tennessee guy. You probably know as much about them as anyone. Uh, where, where, when we record this podcast on Thursday, how are the, how are the Bearcats feeling basketball-wise going into the Iowa game, which Iowa is dump-trucking Iowa State by 15 points at halftime in Hilton Coliseum. So Iowa neutral Chicago, not going to be fun. Got to figure out a way to get that Tennessee game. Let me get your thoughts, gentlemen. I'll start with you, Dave, because you're the Tennessee guy. Let me get your thoughts on this week in Bearcats basketball. Well, my favorite player in the country, not in a UC uniform, is no surprise. A Tennessee Vol, Lamonte Turner, is a straight-up dog. And if UC <laughs> guards don't, don't come to play, he will eat them from limb to limb. Um, I, my question to Brent covering the Crosstown shootout, I didn't see any of it. I just looked at the box score at the end of the game and I saw 17 turnovers again. Like we're almost like what one game away from the third of a third of the way through the season. A couple games is a blip. This is a straight up trend. And I, and I don't know why. Like, what, what did you see in that game? Is it the same stuff we've seen in the previous games? Like, why is this team averaging 17 turnovers a game? Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a mix of, of uh, hesitancy. Trying, you know, trying to make the right decision inside the new system, just you know, not having that that ability to, in the back of your mind, know exactly the next move that you need to make when the first option goes down. I also think, uh, you know, some of these turnovers were kind of uh, just don't want to say boneheaded, but they were, you know, like uh, one was on an inbounds play in a crucial time that that uh, Najee Marshall took the other way for a dunk, and you know. A couple of other times, it, it did lead lead to you know runouts and, and just easy points for Xavier. But you know, aside from that, it, it just seems like just overall hesitancy. Or you know, you look at Jaron Cumberland, who's obviously hobbled. Obviously, you know, you can talk about him for a whole hour if he wanted to go for hour number two. But you know, he he led the team with four turnovers himself, and it just seems like at at times he was trying to do too much, and which is expected. Um, you know. He's he's re- I think it's just time. Just just time is needed for him to get the wind underneath him, get his feet back underneath him, get his confidence back. But you know, a lot of them are just seems like it's kind of within the system where you know it's it's not like you're you know you're making lazy plays. I mean, some of them are, but it it, it seems like most of them. It just seems like you know you're waiting for something to happen, and then you know you you step forward to to pass the ball and. And you said, oh, wait, I'm not supposed to go there. And then all of a sudden it's a travel or all of a sudden it, it is a bad pass at least to a quick turnover. Or, you know, you, you, you drive too far into the lane and it's a charge the other way. But, yeah, it's a trend that really needs to get bucked because uh, the the only, the main stat in, in this, you look at it, it's pretty even all the way up, all the way except for, you know, points off turnovers. And, and Xavier just completely ran Cincinnati out of the building with 21 to 8. And, uh, you know, when you give up 17 turnovers, that's, kind of expected but 
I kind of just thought the, the main storyline of this game was obviously the Najee Marshall game. And it was one of those where Cincinnati had him there 10 minutes into the game where you thought, okay, this is going to be a game the rest of the way. But Najee Marshall scored 11 straight points. Xavier built a lead, and they didn't look back from there. But I agree that turnovers are something that needs to get brushed up. And then, of course, containing the other team's best player or, or containing a player on the other team that starts to get hot would be, would be thing number two because that's really been a problem for them throughout the year as well. Yeah, I just it's it's kind of baffling a group that I mean I know you're going to have some growing pains installing a new offense, but like you said, the these turnovers aren't being forced by high level pressure defenses. Really, you know, getting you out of what you're trying to do. I mean, there's just been too many that you just look at and go, you know, you're a veteran player. This this stuff shouldn't be happening. And, you know, you have these close games. I mean, it, it's a close game. You cut down five five turnovers and have 12 turnovers, and you, you're probably right in there um, with the extra possessions and whatnot. But it's kind of crazy to look at a game in the middle of December as, um, an absolute must win, but I look at the Tennessee game and, you know, the the neutral against Iowa is definitely going to be difficult. And, you know, you have, you've dropped two, you know, you dropped your, the Ohio State game, you dropped the Xavier game, and you have Iowa and Tennessee. I don't think, you know, Obviously, crazy things can still happen, and it, it is only mid-December, but I find it very hard to see the way things are going, that this being a tournament team, if they don't get the Tennessee game. Yeah, uh, you know, that Tennessee game, I like you said, there's there's nothing close to, to a must-win game, and of course, Tennessee's got that big game against Memphis at home this weekend, so, uh, you know, it could be one of those hangover effects if you will in that in that big game afterwards but you know Tennessee is a team obviously you I, I didn't know you're a big Tennessee fan but hey good for you they're they've been a solid team yeah. recently but it's my, you know, it's my alma mater seven, wow okay learn something new every day thank you Dave. but uh <laughs> seven and one seven and one on the year you know, had that one loss of Florida State and you know, I was watching that game over the over the Thanksgiving break and you know it kind of seemed like turnovers were really what plagued them in that game and they still had a chance to win at the end I and it's just it just seems like it's one of those games where you know they haven't traveled on the road a, a true road game correct me if I'm wrong I, I don't think they played on the road but that was one of my storylines I was going to write in was was uh you know the, their first true road game will be at Cincinnati so you know that, that's going to be one of those games where they they've got Cincinnati's got a packed fifth third They've got to make it just tough on Tennessee because, you know, yeah, sure, Turner's as good as you can get at the guard position. But, you know, aside from them, you got what Bowden's a good scorer, and then it's, it's kind of a lot of question marks aside from yeah, that. They're, they're definitely guard-heavy. Um, Chris Vogt will have a, a big advantage in that game. Their, their bigs are, are okay, and they're not anywhere near the, the size of him. But yeah, Bowden is Bowden and Turner are great two way players. I mean, they're both good offensively, they're both really good defensively. So it'll be 
it'll be interesting to see who Bowden messes up with, whether he guards Jaron or Keith. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you can't – like, you just look at – like, look at the conference this year, and, and because of football, I have not really, you know, gotten to – to get too deep on the rest of the conference, but you can't go, you can't go into conference season with, with five losses, four of them being kind of your bigger marquee non-conference games and, going and feel good four, about things. Going on four in those games is not an option. Right. No. I mean, you, Cause what you're going to get to selection Sunday and they're going to go, well, these guys, didn't beat anybody for two months. They're going to say, hey, guess what? Right. You challenged yourself, but you didn't win a game. Right. Right. Not at home. So, not on the road. Not neutral. You didn't You didn't win a game that mattered. I will, uh, to, I'll add this to the conversation. John Brandon uh, on his coach's show tonight, according to the Bearcat Journal message board, said Jared has not yet practiced this week. They're trying to get him back to 100%. If he can practice either tomorrow or if he can practice tomorrow, he'll play against Colgate. If not, probably hold him out until Tennessee. Jay Sarola has practiced the past couple days and looks on track to be back on the floor as the uh, the, the backup to Chris Vote, giving Cincinnati another seven-footer uh, here for these next three games. So that's the update. Continue. I guess, I guess good and bad. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it doesn't sound like Jaron is, is debilitated. It sounds like they're, they're doing everything right. they can to get him fully back to 100% instead of practicing him at 80% and keeping him at 80%. No, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, right. I mean, you're not going to recover – from those types of injuries while practicing also. You have to make the decision that we're just going to shut down it's, it's, until it's, we feel... It's like if you have bronchitis. And, and what you, for nine hours in a week. Yeah, and what you need to do is rest your, your, your voice, and instead you do radio for nine hours. There we go. It's very similar to that, because I'm at like... Eh, 53% is where I would say I'm at this week. But but are we resting you tomorrow? Uh, I've got press conference tomorrow. Should I should I not ask any questions in the press conference tomorrow to rest my voice? <laughs> How's yeah, your sign language? Tell, is that pretty good? Tell, tell Justin Williams to say this question comes from Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com. I just don't speak the entire time I'm there, which you guys know <laughs> is damn near impossible for me because I talk all the time. That's a tough task. So I just walk in the entire task. time, and I just don't speak until the time I leave. And when anybody says anything, wow. I just point at my throat, and I'm like, I'm out. Yeah, they probably like that. <laughs> I'm out. But I think you could do I it. Mean, it. If Jared doesn't play practice tomorrow and doesn't play Saturday, I mean, I don't know anything about Colgate, but I would hope we could still win. But are are we that confident? Do you like, want me to fill you in? I mean, I know they were in the tournament last year because I watched them play 
Tennessee, Tennessee. the game before UC lost after. to Iowa. So, I mean, or after. So, they can't, I mean, unless they graduated all their good players, they can't be, like, terrible. Graduated one of them. I mean, they're good. I, they're they're not great. You know, they've, they've struggled on the road at, at Clemson, at Syracuse, and at Auburn. Um, but, uh, I mean, obviously those are three tough teams. But it's it's not a team that, that if you have your, your worst uh, – let's put it this way. You're not going to have your worst offensive game against them. That they they give up a lot defensively. They're that's where they're very deficient. They shoot a bunch of threes. They they are pristine from the foul line. They have uh, some some bucket getters. And, you know they had one player score forty points this year, and uh, he he was actually not the reigning Patriot League Player of the Year. So that's that kind of shows you that that you've got the reigning Patriot Player of the Year, and then another player who who went off for forty in a game prior in the season. So, you know, they've got some players that can, that can get hot from the outside and, and they can score points, but you know, it's, it's definitely a game where you want to feel extremely confident winning, even without Jaron, uh, you know, without Jaron, you've got to be able to, to, to continue, continue to see the rise of, of Keith Williams and just, you know, really establish Chris boat down low and you should be able to come, come away with a win. But, you know, this is a team where we, we've seen crazy things happen this year in college basketball where, you know, you, you have Colgate on the road and, and all of a sudden they make, you know, the, their first six out of eight three-pointers and, and you've got a dog fight and you've got Jaron sitting on the bench in street clothes. So, um, you know, it's it's a game that, that you should be feeling confident about he- heading into, but it's a game where, you know, if, if they get hot, anything can happen. So, Yeah. I I hope Jaron plays is basically what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I I think it's smart to sit Jaron. I think a whole week off for for Jaron would be the smartest thing. I think a a, a good defensive game. I think you know, the main thing coming out of the, the cross town shootout that Coach Brand talked talked about right afterwards in the press conference. It, you know, it wasn't about offense or anything. You know, we heard all about offense and tempo after you know, after the coaching change, but, you know, of course he, he just talked about defense. So you know, I think, uh, I, I think a highly defensive sided game uh, should be perfectly fine against them. And, and I, I think resting Jaron for a whole week, you know, even if he's sitting there at 75% could go, I think resting him and having him ready for next week would be the smartest decision. If you feel like you have the game plan and, and everything is set to win the game. Cause I think, I think they should easily, but uh, you know, it's just crazy things have happened, and so I, I think the smartest thing would be to to, to give him rest and get his feet back underneath him. Okay, I got one question on since you brought up defense, and I know, you know, the analytics of it and points per possession and things like that are popular, but I want to say that what we're nine games in, is that right? Nine games in, correct. Yeah, nine in. And in eight of the nine games, they've given up more points in the second half than the first half. And in some of those games, it's been a drastic difference. What, like, what do you guys think is is going on from that standpoint that teams are having a lot more success offensively in the second half? Personally, right now, I think a lot of it is 
is fatigue and dealing with the injury and depth issues that they've got right now. And and also mm-hmm. like now now you've switched over um and and properly I think but you've switched over in a large part from Chris McNeil at point guard to Micah Adams Woods at point guard where I think we are all very high on Micah Adams Woods but defensively, Chris McNeil is probably, in a second half of a game, the guy you want out at the top of your defense. He's also probably not the guy you want at the top of your offense. So, John's got a very tough decision to make there. Um, we've seen Jaron go out in the second half of two games. And right now, yep. Jaron's probably their best defender when he's healthy. But he's not healthy. Right. Um, and then... I think you've just got that that realization that teams are figuring out, especially against a team that you know is kind of an unknown. You don't have a lot of tape on 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 John Brandon as the head coach of Cincinnati, so you go through the first half of the game and you figure some things out. You attack those things that you figured out in the first half, and all of a sudden the second half looks a lot better than the first. And and Brandon has been adamant about we need to fix our second-half defense. He understands it because the numbers 100% support what you're saying, Dave. Like, the, the head coach sees it. He knows, and he's pushing them to fix it. It just hasn't been fixed yet. And if it doesn't get fixed over the next three games, finishing 2-1 and one is going to be damn near impossible, which is what they really need to do. Oh, yeah, the name... Yeah. I mean, you never say. You, I mean, they. I. I don't want to say they have to. They almost need to go three and zero. But they're not. I mean, Iowa the, see, the reality. I like they're rolling right now. Um. So you know, it's the like I said earlier that Tennessee game is now. You know, we knew it was going to be important, but it's now taken on an even greater importance just because you can't go two months of the season with a bunch of wins over UNLV and Illinois state and feel good about, about your, your tournament chances. And, and I'm, and that's even taking for granted that, you know, that they're going to do real well in, in conference play. I mean, we don't know. I mean, the conference seems like it's a little bit better top to bottom. So, you know, some of these road games are probably going to be a little more difficult than they've been in the past. And and if the injury bug keeps hitting them or Jaron can't quite get over the hump and he's kind of fighting through something all year, I mean, who, you know, you just there's just so much unknown from that standpoint. Yeah, and that's going to be unknown until it's a known. Like, that's the hard part about that. There's no like, there's no timetable one on when everything is going to click on both ends of the floor, and there's no timetable on when is Jaron going to be not only healthy, but when is he going to be in game shape? Because he hasn't been healthy enough to get in game shape. So, and, and then, you know, three games from now, Iowa, UConn, whatever, 
all of a sudden he turns an ankle again, and then he's set back again another week or two. Like, it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy with Jaron right now. We got to get him healthy so that he could get in game shape. And then he, he takes a fall on the Virgin if you're not Islands. healthy. He takes a fall on the Virgin Islands and turns his ankle. And then he works to get that back okay. And then when that's starting to go, then all of a sudden he has a hip pointer. And then now that's got him out a week. And, you know, the, these two or three weeks where they haven't had a whole lot of games, where he could have been working back into game shape, they're having to hold him out to get him healthy before they could get him back in game shape. So that side of it, like that's, that's the difficult part that it doesn't get talked about a lot because it does, you know, it, it, it's not what happens in between the lines, but that's the, the challenge that they've got. And then if he's out or if he's hampered, can you win games with Keith as your number one guy, Javen as your shooter, you know, Chris votes role becomes more important. You need more from Trey Scott on offense. It, it, it's so complicated a puzzle because the main piece of the puzzle, like, you know, when you're doing a puzzle, you got that piece in the center that starts the puzzle. And that piece in the center mm -hmm. that starts the puzzle right now is not fitting with any of the other pieces because of everything that he's going through. So you mean, you mean to tell me that having – the returning conference player of the year at full strength is important for a team. Yes, that oh. is a, that I that is what I am attempting to tell you. Okay, Chad, he sounds like a Tennessee alum right there with that with that knowledge and that brain. Fantastic. He does look at the big brain. Oh, really good. Dave. I was I was there long <laughs> enough. I, I think I took pretty much all the classes offered. <laughs> but I took all the classes offered. <laughs> Yeah, the Van Wilder move. I did the same thing down at IU. No worries. No worries. I mean, everyone see, will everyone will get a look at uh, five star Josiah James at uh, John Fulkerson, which who will no doubt annoy all of our fans with his extreme hustle and unathleticism and gangliness, and and he will end up probably. I'm going to go 15 and nine. That's my prediction right now. And you're going to go, this guy, I wouldn't pick this guy third in the YMCA league. So he's Kyle Young. So, so uh, Kyle Young part of it. No, because Kyle Young at least is like put together and looks like a dude. Yeah. Fulkerson got long, long hair and doesn't look like he lifts weights. So he's Kyle Young with long hair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys so, got anything else? I I think we're we're at, we're at, we're at seventy five minutes. I think we did enough. Yeah, you know, I think 20... we, you know, we set. We should have uh, hopefully some some info on some visitors this weekend. You know, with the conference championship game, the Bearcats really only have one official visitor weekend. Yeah, I think they're, mm -hmm. you know, probably looking to add a couple more. Uh, high school kids to this group for the early early signing period, and then kind of see what shakes out with uh, in February and with transfers. We know obviously we know how uh, big the transfer market has become. Transfer portal. I would. You know, UConn has UConn is, is 
taken over the transfer portal, apparently. So nineteen of them. <laughs> I, I would look. Yeah, they're all bad. They they all weren't going to contribute, or they're not good guys. Correct. So it's okay. Exactly. Everything's I, fine. Yeah. I would I would look at an addition at wide receiver. I would look at. I would look Tuesday? for an addition or Wednesday signing day. Yeah, signing day. Yeah. Uh, between now and signing day, I don't know. I don't know specifics on when anything is going to happen at this point. Right. I would look for an addition at wide receiver. I would look for an addition on the defensive line. Maybe an addition in the defensive backfield. Right now, I think that Maybe that might be it for the, for the. Well, <laughs> if I think I think if there was a second wide receiver, I think that would be a good candidate for the second signing day. Right. Chad, I like you rewarding. Chad, you're rewarding those those dedicated listeners that that have stuck through the entire eighty minutes. That's 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 the thing to do right there. Hey, I've been doing this a long time, brother. I know. (laughs) I know. They must be they must be drinking their Trace Pontas coffee. How about that? They must be drinking their Trace Pontas coffee. TracePontas.com slash coffee. Enter Bearcats at checkout, get twenty percent off. Um But I, I think if you add a second wide receiver, you wait and see what happens, right? Yeah, probably. Unless unless there's somebody that you just, you know, you feel like, let's just get this guy yeah. now. We can get him. Let's get him now. But and I, then I would add a third I would add a third wide receiver in the transfer portal, but that's just me. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, some of that will depend on which guys from Cincinnati also are in the transfer portal at wide receiver. In the transfer portal. Because let's, <laughs> let's be honest. There's going it's to not be a great some room. guys that, you know, they're holding out until either the end of the semester or the bowl game. Um, there's going to be some guys in. Every team has it. You you know, you, you have your guys that are going into their, you know, third or fourth year that are have fallen behind in the depth chart. They want to play somewhere. Can I, so can I be honest? Not, what's that? The one mistake Luke Fickle made when he put his staff together. And I, he put a brilliant staff together when he got here. He has made very good hires since. I think he made a very good hire at wide receiver coach in Mike Brown. Joker Phillips was mm-hmm. a mistake. Oh, yeah. And they're that's... cleaning up that mess. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah, Mike Brown's phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, they're, you know, you there's all, I think outside of the upper crust, you're, I think almost everybody's always going to have a position group that they feel yeah. like they can get more out of. And it's right now, it's, for us, it's wide receiver. And, and it's not like they're not trying. They're, you know, so it, it might just take a little longer than the other groups. I mean, who would have thought we'd have the surplus we have at running back and tight end and defensive line and what looks like to be offensive line next year, considering what we safety. were rolling – Considering what we were rolling out on the offensive line a few years ago, so considering what we were rolling out at cornerback a few years ago, Dave. Uh, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to talk about some of some of that, so I don't want to make anybody mad. <laughs> in case they're listening, you never know. This is always yeah. this is always somebody's first podcast, so we don't want to give them a reason to never listen again. We're not trying to shit on you. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get one oh, in. Dan turned this 
Dan turned this off at one time. Hey, but I still got it in. <laughs> I might be 82 minutes into this podcast, but I still got it in. No voice. <laughs> I'm ready to fall asleep at the microphone, but I still got it in. All right, boys, I'm calling it quits. Sounds good. So, Brent, Dave, thank you both for carrying the load tonight. Much appreciated. Great show. And uh, next week is going to be, man, you talk about you talk about where we're at right now to where we're at next Thursday. Could be a wildly different show. Could be a new AD in place. Signing day. Who knows what's going to happen. Bearcats take on the Vols Wednesday. Next week's going to be a lot of fun. You want to do this again, all three of us? I think we make this a regular thing through basketball season. What do you think? I'm in. Berg is gone. Berg has been, Berg leaves big shoes to fill. <laughs> so we'll go with the three of us unless Dave has daddy duties he has to take care of. And Brent, you're going to have to put your dates on hold. Uh, you know what? We'll uh, we'll see what I can do. And, and good thing I wear a size 14 shoe. How about that? Hey, you know what they say about guys with big feet? They wear big that's shoes. That's all I'm saying. They wear big shoes. That's pretty much it. <laughs> all right. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> we'll see everybody next week. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. He's Brent Young. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. <laughs>